0: If any of you were not here this morning, you missed some absolutely uh, phenomenal teaching. Amen. Uh, Pastor, that I was telling him at, over lunch that I had had, I'd thought about that so many times. Uh, I'd read multiple commentaries and a lot of articles on the wise men, uh, some pretty profound teaching. It dispelled a lot of questions in my mind. Absolutely tremendous word. And I want to speak today on a, a thought that. Uh, might seem slightly unorthodox for how close we are to Christmas, and I don't want to mess with anybody's nostalgia. Uh, but we, Jesus came for a very specific reason, and uh, there is one drawback to Christmas, and and that is we tend to only uh, we, we tend to wait till one time of year to really celebrate an event that should be celebrated just all year round. And uh, a lot of times the commercialism causes us to, to overlook how powerful of an event was experienced 2,000 years ago. And what Pastor said this morning about the virgin birth being probably one of the most fundamental aspects of apostolic doctrine is so true. And it's so overlooked. I want to teach on a, preach, preach, whatever, on a simple thought, just 37 men just 37 men. This is something that Pastor briefly touched on a couple weeks ago, and um, little did he know I had also been meditating on this and praying on this subject, and when he said that, sometimes uh, during preaching, when something really good is said, I, I have a tendency to stay on that one point for the whole rest of the message, and that was what That was one of those times when I got locked on to that one point and I was really fighting to listen to the rest of the message because I was like, man, that is a juicy one. But but Christmas is an opportunity to reflect on how he came, where he went, why he did it, how he did it, and probably most importantly that he did it. I want to reflect on a slightly different aspect of the Christmas narrative today. And that's why and what Jesus came to do. There's probably nothing more profound. In the life of Christ than his ultimate purpose. If there could be something even more profound than simply his existence. But pastor has been talking a lot about faith. And as we go into 2020. 2020. I want us to be empowered by faith and by God's divine purpose for us. Divine purpose to seek and to save the lost. And his method, the Lord's method, that is, of doing this is is very clear in Scripture. He has a very concise plan. And that goes something like this. I won't always be with you, so I'm coming to prepare a select set of individuals That can carry this on when I go. Because while I am holy God. I am holy man. And I'll only live a certain amount of time. And even if the crucifixion had not occurred. Which as we know would go contrary to true theology. But if it had not occurred. Jesus would still pass away. He was holy man. And so he had to prepare individuals to follow him. The fight had to go on. In the year... 1865, after five years of bloody conflict, the American Civil War had finally come to a close. America has a history of warfare. Uh, In its short lifespan, we have participated in 121 conflicts, wars, revolutions, and conquests for a total combined casualty list of about 1.2 million American troops. Out of 121 conflicts, the Civil War accounts for 620,000 of those 1.2 million casualties. That's exactly half of the total casualty list of all American wars combined occurred in the Civil War. But the death toll wasn't the only problem on the American horizon. The economy was in absolute shambles as the debt load had increased from... $64 million at the start of the war to $2.68 trillion, excuse me, billion dollars, I'm thinking today. $2.68 billion by war's end, that's equivalent to uh, approximately $42 billion today. And it was made worse by the fact that one in every three notes in circulation at the time was counterfeit. One in three bills was fake. The American government was faced with a new challenge, how to fix this very broken economy, and it started by fixing its currency. And in order to do that, they decided to generate an, an agency. An agency was conceptualized, and that, that agency would serve as the first counterintelligence and domestic intelligence agency in the U.S. It would be responsible for investigating federal crimes as well as protecting the monetary assets of the nation. And furthermore, it would be the first and foremost line of defense in terms of presidential security. Legislation for this agency that would become known as the Secret Service was actually on President Abraham Lincoln's desk the night that he was assassinated. Under management of the Treasury Department, they would not take up the role of presidential security, however, until 1902. Every year, 16,000 people, uh, primarily ex-military, ex-law enforcement, transfers from different intelligence agencies within the country, attempt to join the Secret Service. Of those 16,000, only 200 applicants only 200 of the most qualified, the most intelligent, the most physically fit applicants will get through. And they join what is known as the Uniform Division of the Secret Service. That's guys that actually wear a uniform and it says Secret Service on there. They look like a traditional law enforcement officer. Of, that, of those 200 applicants that are processed into the Uniform Division, less than 1% of those will go on to be uh, the street clothes division or the plain clothes division that we are familiar with, the guys that guard the president, guys with the cool shades, jackets, clearly covering a Uzi. Less than 1% of 200 individuals that came out of a 16,000 individual applicant pool. It's highly selective, highly competitive, and today the Secret Service has only two primary missions. That is to protect the fiduciary integrity of the nation. And protect its leadership. I always thought that was very interesting. That the only thing America values as highly as protecting its leadership. Is protecting its money. But it it does reflect something very interesting that, that we should take. It's very strategic. And as apostolics. There's only a couple things that we need to be concerned with or focus on. And I would consider uh, the Secret Service to be an excellent example of that. The only two things that we really truly need to be worried about are A, apostolic doctrine, and B, our leadership. Apostolic doctrine and leadership. If you make those your two primary focuses, you will succeed at everything you attempt to do in the kingdom. If you would turn with me to second Samuel chapter 21. I might add that the secret service is is really renowned. Uh, they can't necessarily promote as it would be unconstitutional uh but it is kind of an unspoken rule that the body itself has no political or presidential affiliation. In other words, they, as a body, they don't show any kind of bias or any kind of support to one particular party or to one particular president. Instead of a party, they pledge allegiance simply only to the nation and to its highest office simply only to the nation and to its highest office. I think uh, we could also learn from that. That uh, that that goes into uh, multiple facets of life. I'm not going to speak out uh, too vocally against it, but for those of you that are like Facebook politicians, <laughs> that's not what we're here for. We're here for the gospel. We need to pledge allegiance to the gospel. And I uh, respect everybody's political affiliations. But you can burn some seriously important bridges if you put your political party before your God. Right. Right. Second Samuel chapter 21 and verse, fir- verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war against Israel... And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. This is what Pastor was speaking on briefly in one of his messages. He was talking about how if you want to be a giant killer, you need to hang out with giant killers. And so we see uh, the tremendous example that David had as a a leader. Verse 16 in this poor kid when he was growing up. Ishbibinab, Ishbi, what a nickname, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, and I had to look it up, that's, I think it was like 7 or 17 pounds, either way, it's it's very heavy uh, to wield around in battle, so you'd have to be uh, fairly large and fairly strong, a little bit of both he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zuriah, siccord him. Siccord him? Siccord. I apologize, I've never actually read this in the King James, I like to read in the ESV, but siccord is a very interesting word, we'll add it to the dictionary. Uh, Siccord him. Rescued him, thank you and smote the Philistine, and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. In other words, you can't go out with us anymore. You're, 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 you're Israel's hope. You're Israel's, you're Israel's future. You can't do combat with us anymore. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob, then Sibekai. The Hushanite slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in God with the Philistines where Eli- Eli- Elianen, the son of Goam, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. I just want to stop here at verse 19 and say, those guys, poor mother. <laughs> she... Yeah, we're talking about uh, birthing videos today. That that would have been one for the books. (laughs) (laughs) And there was yet a battle in Gath, where was a man of great stature, that had on every hand six fingers, and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Turn with me to Second Samuel. Chapter 23. Now, a lot of. A lot of kids. I, at least for for myself, Winston Nolan and I. Uh, you know, when you when you grow up uh, in a, a apostolic preacher's home, and you you know you're not really allowed to watch most movies, and, and, and you don't really you know okay, uh, specific comic books are forbidden. You find all your heroes in scripture, you know. And uh, so in Second Samuel. Second, which is the way to go if you're asking me. Second Samuel chapter 23 happens to be probably my favorite chapter in all scripture because it outlines uh, the saga of probably scripture's greatest OGs and superheroes. Second Samuel chapter 23, let's start at verse 7. But the man that shall touch them be fenced with iron. And the staff of a spear. And they shall be utterly burned with fire in the same place. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tacomite, That sat in the seat chief among the captains. The same was Adonai. The Esnite. He lifted up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Now. Let's just take a brief pause there. This is why I love this chapter, especially as a kid. I was like, man, these guys weren't even endued with supernatural Samson strength. They were just that. These are the guys that when they walked in someplace, they had presence. You know, you, you bumped into him. It was like six sorries and a get out the way. Let me give you a tip while I'm at it. Who should I make the checkout to? <laughs> these guys were the real deal. And after him, verse 9. Was Eleazar the son of Dodo the Hoite, one of the three mighty men with David? When they defied the Philistines that were ga- there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines and until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him, was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. And just to give you an understanding of why that's so prolific, essentially it's what it's saying is, he stood in a, a field and the, the three choice weapons of the, of the time period would have been a sword and a shield or a spear or a javelin or a bow and arrow. And what makes it so impressive that he stood in the middle of an open barren field amongst all the Philistines is that if you know anything about bow and arrows and spear and javelin is that they're intended to be used from a distance. Essentially, he fought all the Philistines while they were shooting arrows and throwing spears at him, and he overcame them. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it. And the three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in a hold. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines. This is why women live longer than men. And drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. Three guys pastor, he really wants to drink water. (laughs) Three guys, man, if I could just have a sip of Gatorade right about now. And the first thing that comes to mind, let's take them. The three of us, yeah, we got this. The whole garrison's down there, no sweat. We'll brush them aside. They go down there, retrieve his drink. So you got to, and this is out of a well, mind you. It wasn't turn, turn the tap on and It was Let's fight everybody off while we draw water out of this well. (laughs) Sometimes we just graze over these portions of scripture and, and don't realize how impressive these guys were. Drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zerai, was chief among three, and he lifted up his spear against three hundred, and slew them, and had the name among three. Was he not most honorable of three? Therefore, he was their captain. Howbeit, attained not unto the first three. And Benai the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. Two lion-like men, meaning meaning he was they were the champions of that land. There was nobody who had as much prowess or as much bravery as them. He slew the lion-like men and. And that word is actually in, in, uh, in the Hebrew is Ariel. Lion like men is Ariel, and that means lions of God. Uh, but it's translated little g there, lions of God. Essentially, they were the, the most powerful warriors of their land. And then he went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow. He went down intentionally into a pit. Now, raise your hand if you feel like when you go to the zoo, I was just there a couple nights ago. When you go to the zoo and you pass by the lion exhibit, Sister Carmela, suddenly an overwhelming urge comes upon you, and you drop that pretzel. And you drop that drink, you're dripping, you're dri- yeah, you're probably dripping it. They won't give you a straw because protect the animals or whatever. But, and you drop that drink and you just jump straight over the barrier there. So you can get down there face to face with the lion. Yeah, if you're anything like me, that it does not come to your mind. But this guy, he was, he was different. He was unique. And he jumped down, and it says specifically in the snow. So you're in a slippery hole. with the. And I had a friend, I was telling my wife, I had a friend in Bible college, he was telling me, you know, we were talking about um, all the instances of lions used in Scripture, how it, it, can be a, it can be utilized as a savage animal, but also as a, a regal animal. And he said, you know, the, but these are, these are not African lions. These are Asiatic lions. And I... I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I brushed it off. So today as I was reading this portion of scripture again, I I jumped online real quick and I looked up Asiatic lions and I read 160 to 190. And then I was like, kilos? That's 350 to 420 pounds. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, just an Asiatic lion. Nothing nothing too crazy, just in a small confined pit that's slippery with a 420-pound cat that just wants to kill you. Sounds like a great idea. Clearly, I missed my daily shot of testosterone for the last 26 years because, yeah, it doesn't come to my mind at all. That or my wife finally did straighten me out. He He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man, and the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. That's embarrassing. The scripture says plucked. When I think of the word plucked, I'm thinking you're out in, you're out in the field of tulips or daisies, you know. <laughs> she loves me. She loves me not. <laughs> plucked. My guy plucked the spear out of his hand. Just plucked the spear out of his hand. These things did Benai the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among three mighty men. He was more honorable than the thirty, but he attained not to the first three. And David set him over his guard. In total, we come down to verse 39 at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 23, and it says in verse 39, it said, Uriah, Uriah, excuse me, the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. 37 men. 37 mighty men. Now, uh, when I think of all the armies of the Philistines, And all of the armies that were at Saul's disposal. All the adversaries. You know, it's good to have the squad, but 37 guys is seeming pretty slim. 37 men. And I begin to think of how powerful, though, that was. How tremendous the feats of just 37 average men. They weren't they weren't necessarily anointed by God. They had received no special anointing from the prophets. Samuel never poured oil on them. They were not endued with supernatural power like Samson. They had no they 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 did have the ability to silence their phones. Uh, (laughs) They did. They didn't have any of these supernatural blessings. They didn't have any of these special anointings. They didn't have any of these special giftings. What they did have, though, was very unique. They had radical leadership during a time of conflict. In history, a lot of times we see there are some very radical leaders that are actually not defined by their own actions, but are defined by the actions of their followers. Uh, I think of probably one of the most uh, villainous individuals in history uh, at the the turn of the century, the previous century, Adolf Hitler. To the best of our knowledge, from what I've read, Hitler never personally laid hands on any Jew. But he is prolifically known... For being a Jew killer. And that's because of the feats of his henchmen. You know, something uh, very powerful begins to happen when you have radical leadership during a time of conflict. Because what inevitably happens is that if your followers catch the vision and the conflict causes them to activate that vision in a way that it would not normally be activated. The the amazing phenomenon happens that the followers tend to become even more radical than the leader themselves. We see that clearly in history. Yeah, Adolf was a, he was a sick, twisted guy, but the guys under him, Joseph Goebbels, other henchmen, these nefarious men that maybe we don't know as as household names like Adolf Hitler these guys were absolute loonies they were just completely out there but Adolf Hitler became known for their actions yes he he propagated that yes he called the shots but it was it was a culmination of followers actions that when combined elevated an individual to this status that we now have in our minds. That's the power of leadership when backed by a vision. That's why doctrine and leadership are the two most important things that we as apostolic Pentecostals can focus on. And why is this at all related to Christmas? We have a you know we have an a, a, an awesome holiday coming up. It's it's personally my favorite next to Thanksgiving. Uh, you get to you know revel with your family and friends and have fun and laugh a lot and eat too much and open presents and see people open the presents that you give them. It's exciting, it's fun, it's nostalgic. But through all the uh, commercialism and, and and through all that, at the end of the day, it, we are celebrating this because one man came with a very specific purpose. And that specific purpose was to save the lost. And his method of doing that was by empowering individuals that long after he is gone, hey, don't worry, I'm not always going to be here, but I will send a comforter, and that comforter is going to go with you wherever you go, and it's going to empower you. I know the 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 candlelight service, to me as a kid, I was always like... "Mm." I was trying to drip wax on Winston or something it was you know but there's so much there's there's really if you get a revelation of the power of the light that you have in you it will change it ch- and I know that sounds very cliche but it will change your life it will empower you in a way that only true doctrine and apostolic vision can empower an individual. I use the uh, example of the Secret Service because, to me, that's a that's a common everyday concept that we can associate with with mighty men. These guys, they have no mission other than. To protect what the nation values as most precious, and that's leadership and uh, money. But if we will take that concept and we will allow it to be translated into our everyday lives as Christians, you will begin to realize and you will begin to recognize the effects of apostolic doctrine and adherence to true vision, when you begin to embrace those concepts, when you begin to stand for those concepts, and, and it it looks I it looks something here. I, I need some I need some uh, helpers, uh, brother Samuel, brother Nolan. You look like uh, strong candidates for future Secret Service work. <laughs> Both suffering from invisible lat syndrome. Come on up. I can do it, too. <laughs> Pastor, can we use you? See, the Secret Service works exactly the same way as the church or how it should. You see, because it, at, at the very focal point, we have a vision that is granted from God to the man of God. I've said it before. I'll say it again. When I... I it was not my, my wife's uh, true passion and desire, nor to be honest, really mine, to come back to Indiana. I know that sounds harsh, but reality, it hurts sometimes. <laughs> but the Lord, he placed it upon my heart. And when he did, he placed it upon my wife's heart. And, and we got together and I said, you know, the Lord, he's really impressed upon me that we're, we're coming back In order to serve God's man. You see, because this is God's man for this community. And what he needs, just like we we see a a very uh, powerful story, a very powerful example of this. Where Moses is, he's looking up, I can imagine him, I always imagine him over a valley. And there's the, the Israelites, they're making battle on the Amalekites. And he has his hands lifted And as the day wanes on and he begins to grow tired and he begins to let down his hands. And as he does, the Amalekites begin to overtake the Israelites. And realizing this, he'll he'll push up again. But it was two, two men very close to him and very valuable to him that decided to have him take a seat. So maybe he could get a moment of respite while the battle went on. And when he still grew tired, they upheld his hands. And the scriptures does something very interesting there. It perfectly outlines how the umbrella of apostolic biblical authority is poured out. It says when he had his hands up because two men beneath him were upholding him, then a third man was able to win the victory. Some men fight, some men uphold, but at the end of the day, you have to be under the umbrella of apostolic authority, and you have to be sold into a vision. And that's just exactly how, how the, the, church, the church is so much like the Secret Service, because you have a man that you your job is to uphold him and protect him while he's carrying the doctrine. And don't get, don't get this twisted. Don't get it twisted. Don't think that... Pastor's the only one that can reach out to people. You, we all have the doctrine. Don't get the analogy messed up, but he has he has the doctrine, and it's our responsibility. Look tough, guys. Just Get the lats out. It's our responsibility. Come on, look, really look tough. Get 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 some grit. Don't smile. Or... <laughs> hey, I have to tell you. I have yeah. What do you say? We aren't happy on this job. No. There is an old I I love Davy Crockett uh, mythology because of my family is of the the Crockett lineage and uh, one of his famous uh myths is that uh he was capable of grinning down uh raccoons and even bears by simply grinning at them. <laughs> tall tales. But around here we don't we don't use those tall tales. So <laughs> serious face on. But it's our job as as he is upholding the doctrine and as he is in communion with God and supernatural vision is going out as the attacks of the enemy come his way we very seriously and proudly resolutely and very nicely dressed will protect will protect the pastor because we have to we have to bind together and there's so many individuals that that want to be uh, at the focal point, and I'll be the first to tell you, I know exactly how that feels. I, I too was once there. I was like, man, the limelight—it looks so good. And then you briefly come in contact. What, what be happen- What happens when the limelight goes out?